chapter 1. In a moment, I'll be reading Luke 1, verses 26 through 33. Let's pray. Father, I, I beg of you to let me be just a conduit for your holy scripture this morning and not a hindrance to it. We love you. We love your son. Continue in that grace of the presence of your Holy Spirit engendering worship amongst us in the minutes we have left to the glory of our Savior Jesus. Amen. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of a greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. That scene there, the Christmas story, did not just happen. It did not happen in a vacuum. There's a story that goes all the way back to the beginning of creation that sets the context for Gabriel showing up and giving this message to a virgin girl named Mary. It's the story of reality. It's the story of meaning. It's the story of the purpose for the existence of anything and of any person. So, this morning, on this week before Christmas Sunday, I want us to just sit back and listen. Sit back and hear a summary of the centuries which were the prelude to Gabriel showing up and announcing that God the Son is becoming a human being. And all these writings that we're going to hear, and we're going to hear a lot this morning, they were already there. 
in the scrolls, right down the street from Mary in the synagogue, waiting. So, there's a shot given the context of Gabriel's visit. The one and the only true God without beginning, eternally happy in the fellowship of the Holy Trinity, created the heavens and the earth. And God then created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So that the very unbounded bliss and joy of God himself was to be offered to the man, to the human race. It's as if God said as he would walk in the cool of the day with Adam, I'm here for you, for your happiness. Trust me. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that one tree you shall not eat. For in the day that you do eat of it, you shall surely die. And the representative of the human race turned, turned away from trusting in God's command, and he fell. And every human being that would come from him and Eve were and are born in a state of sinful separation of fellowship with their Creator. They all, we all, now by the natures in which we are born are under God's coming judgment which will come after every person experiences their own judgment of physical death. And God takes humanity and puts them out of the garden but right then, he foretold Christmas, saying to Satan, the deceiver, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. One born of a woman, and now we know her name, it's Mary, shall come. And by being bruised on the cross will crush the head of the serpent. He will come and destroy the works of the devil. This was the only way for God to mete out justice on sinners through the innocent substitute. So that God could be merciful toward the guilty and pardon them forever. So the story of redemption from the sin problem begins right there at the beginning.
And then we know God was patient and took time and the earth was filled with evil and he demonstrated his holiness when he expressed it in justice and wrath by killing every human being on earth except for Noah and seven others. And after the planet was significantly repopulated, he encountered a pagan and said to the pagan, I'm going to make a covenant with you. Here's my promise, saying to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that promise, that covenant was passed down to his son Isaac. Whom, when Isaac was 13 years old, God told Abraham, take him to the hill I tell you to take him to. And kill him, sacrifice him. And when Abraham was about to plunge the knife into his son, the angel of the Lord stopped him and said, Do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him, because now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son. And then God gives a replacement. A sacrifice, a ram caught in the thicket. And Abraham sacrifices to the Lord. And then he said this. The name of this place shall be called Yahweh, or the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of Yahweh, it shall be provided We don't know for sure, but many scholars speculate where God had him go was the place would eventually where Jerusalem would be built in a hill or had three crosses on it 1,700 years later. And then God reconfirmed his promise to Abraham in Genesis 28 saying, Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Jew and Gentile. And so God's promise, His covenant is given to fallen mankind through Abraham. And then through his son Isaac and through his son Jacob, whose name is changed to Israel. And through Jacob's 12 sons, whose descendants become the 12 tribes of Israel. And when Jacob was a very old man, he had each of his sons come to his bedside to prophesy over them. And when his son Judah appeared... Judah, the one from whom 
the Messiah, the Savior, the King, Jesus would come from. He said this, the scepter, there's royalty. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. So the 12 tribes, as we know, multiply greatly over the next 400 years and find themselves as slaves in Egypt until God raises up Moses to free them. And with Moses, with that, the types and the shadows and the pointers to the coming sacrifice of Jesus begin. They began with that last plague on the Passover night where the shed blood of the Lamb was to be painted on the doorpost of every Jewish home so that the angel of death, the angel of judgment, when he sees the blood, he will pass over that house and not kill the firstborn. And during the 40 years in the wilderness, God gave the law through Moses, the first five books of the Bible. And in that law, Christ is all over it. The tabernacle, the sacrificial system, the day of atonement, the scapegoat, the high priesthood. The institution of remembering by reenacting once every year that Passover night. All of it were shadows. They were pictures of God's promise to send Jesus and to fulfill the ultimate meaning of them all. And at the end of the 40 years in the wilderness, these prophetic words were spoken to the people by Moses. The Lord, or Yahweh, your God, will raise up for you a prophet like me. From among you, from your brothers, it is to him you shall listen. And then the people of Israel crossed the Jordan finally and mostly conquered the land that the Lord gave to them. And as they are settled in the land, about 300 years later, David, from the tribe of Judah, becomes the king of Israel. About a thousand years before the birth of Christ. And then God speaks to David and he made this covenant with him. He promised, quote, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers in death, David, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom 
forever. In a little over 200 years after that, the Lord foretold through the prophet Isaiah that the descendant of David, who was to come, who was to be born, he would be despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And the Lord through Isaiah goes on. Surely, Isaiah says, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All of us as sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his own way. But Yahweh laid on him the iniquity of us all. And yet, it was the will of Yahweh to crush him. He has put him to grief. And when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days because he will be resurrected. And yet, he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. And then we turn to the Old Testament songbook and it is filled with foretellings, prophecies of the coming Messiah, the son of David. So here's just a portion of them. There are many more. In Psalm 2, we hear these words. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against Yahweh and against His Messiah. Think Rome. Pontius Pilate. Think Herod and the Jewish Sanhedrin. The psalm goes on. But as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. Yahweh said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And then the psalm ends with this warning and a promise of blessing. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. But blessed are all who take refuge in Him. And then Psalm 22 
It pictures Jesus on the cross long before it happened. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads saying, He trusts in the Lord. Let Him deliver Him. Let the Lord rescue Him. For the Lord delights in Him. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And David foretold the resurrection of the Messiah in Psalm 16. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol place of the dead, or let your Holy One, meaning His body, see corruption, which it didn't, because on the third day He was raised from the dead. And in Psalm 45, the Son of David, the, the coming King, is clearly called God, by God. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness, and therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And when Jesus cleanses the temple, we know it was foreshadowed in Psalm 69. For zeal for your house has consumed me. And the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. And in Psalm 89, the Lord reaffirms the Davidic covenant, saying, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. And then there's Psalm 110, which is quoted throughout the New Testament and by Jesus himself saying, The Lord said to my Lord, says David, Yahweh said to my Adonai, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Yahweh has sworn and he will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And another often quoted passage in the New Testament about Jesus is Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The cornerstone, the, the foundation of a construction of a building with which you plumb everything off of it. The stone, the son of David, Jesus 
that the builders, his fellow Jews, rejected, has become the foundation stone, the cornerstone of an eternal building in the heavens. The Lord is the one doing this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And then you hear Jesus coming through the gates of Jerusalem in this line from Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then we turn to the prophets of Israel in Judah. And in the 700s B.C., before Christ comes, these sobering words come from Yahweh through Isaiah the prophet. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel. He'll become a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. And then Isaiah 9 gives this preview of the ministry of Jesus. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Just hold on. on your Bible map there, just look at the New Testament map up there in the Sea of Galilee and the region of Galilee. That's where those two places were. But then Isaiah goes on. But in the latter time, it's coming, he says... He has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And in Isaiah chapter 11, we hear these specific words. In that day, the root of Jesse, okay. Jesse, David's dad, Jesse, David, and the root, the one coming, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend His hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of His people. And Jesus Himself referred to these words from Isaiah 35. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. And then he says to those men who came to him, You go tell John the Baptist those words are talking about me. And referring to Jesus, the Apostle Matthew in his narrative quotes Psalm 42. 
Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break into faintly burning wick. He will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. And then these words from Isaiah 61, we know, are the words that Jesus opened up the scroll to and then read them out loud in that synagogue service and then declared, these words are referring to me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of Yahweh's favor. And then in the 500s BC, the prophet Daniel records these stunning words. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and all nations and all languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not ever pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. I saw one like a son of man. And we all know of all the titles in the Old Testament that clearly referred to Jesus, there is this one title that he used of himself, taken from chapter 7 of Daniel, the Son of Man. It's how he referred to himself when he referred often to himself in the third person. Here's two of them. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then later, in the courtroom of the Sanhedrin, Jesus said plainly, I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And then Zechariah chapter 9, foreseeing Jesus' triumphal entry, says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! 
Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And in chapter 11, Zechariah says, and we know it's ultimately concerning Judas. They weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. And then Yahweh said to me, throw it to the potter. The lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of Yahweh, the temple, to the potter. And sitting in those scrolls, right down the street, in the synagogue, from Mary, were these words from Isaiah the prophet. The Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And also Isaiah said, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. And Micah the prophet foretells. But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. And so, the Apostle Paul, he looks to the Hebrew Scripture. He sees all of these predictions and the patience of God letting redemptive history take its course and unfold. And he looks back to that original Christmas. And he proclaims, And when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. And Jesus' close friend, John, years after Jesus' death and resurrection, sums it up like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so, as we approach this last week of this Christmas season, what we celebrate at Christmas did not happen in a vacuum. What we heard, all these stunning predictions, could not have been made if they weren't coming from the Creator, God, the omnipotent, omniscient one. And so as we see the story began at creation, the plot for Christmas is set. Every human being has fallen into sin. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God by willfully spurning His offer of unbounded joy in Him forever. And the only way for any of us to have a change of heart and a change of will in, in order for us to come back into the fold of God's joy without God being unjust in letting that happen. The only way for His love to make a way for His justice to be upheld towards those who believe in Jesus while He says to them, Forgiven. You are now declared righteous. I have adopted you as my son and daughter. The only way that can happen is for him to give his son up as the punishment for our sins. And then to have him be the first human being resurrected unto eternal life. And so, the stage of redemptive history, that whole drama of God's saving has been set. And that's why we who believe know the truth and we relish this historical scene. And the angel Gabriel said to the Virgin Mary, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. And now, Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High 
will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Blessed be the God of Christmas. Let's pray. Oh, Father, as we hear the heart of your Apostle Paul pour out in Romans 8, he who did not spare his own son, but actually gave him and delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also by him and through him and because of him. Give to us all things. Oh, we look forward, Lord Jesus, to your second advent. With the kindness and the love that is prepared for those who are yours is unimaginable and impossible to grasp. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let us stand.